we're still moving through the, the season of Easter, as I said earlier, our theme has been life from behind closed doors. And each Sunday we have gone into looked at a scripture text where folks are gathered uh, behind closed doors looking, looking for an abundant experience of life. And today we go to an Old Testament story from the time of the prophet Elisha, as Elisha and a widow and her family are living in a land of scarcity and how together they find God's abundance. And Royce is going to read the scripture from 2 Kings for us. 2 Kings uh, chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living God, the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, you prepare a table for us and our cup overflows in your presence. In this time, may your word overflow in us so that we can join you in providing abundance for the world. Amen. Back in March, we were looking at a healing story and I mentioned one of my New Testament teachers who said that all healing stories Old Testament, New Testament, throughout the ancient world, all healing stories have the same basic structure. There is a need, the need is voiced, the need is met. That is also true for stories that tell of miraculous provision. Jesus and the loaves and fishes, Moses and manna in the desert, and this morning, the widow and the miraculous abundance of oil. There is a need, the need is voiced, the need is met. The structure of the story is always the same. What is interesting is how the story is told. What is the need? How is it voiced? Who is speaking up? And how in the world does this miraculous provision come about? As we enter into the widow's world this morning, the need is dire. Her husband has died, she has nothing, and they are about to come and take her children. The need, scarcity, hunger, loss, debt with no means to repay it, 
creditors on the way, real fear that she will lose her home and her family. And all this need, all this need hits her in a place where she is already grieving. She's already lost so much. She names that when she comes to Elisha, the man of God, my husband, your servant has died and his creditors are coming to take my sons. After all she's lost, she may lose everything else. It's important for us to notice also that her whole situation, all of this need not results not only from life circumstances, but also from systems and structures that are working to keep her in need. Things do not have to be like this, but there are systems at work, a patriarchal system where a woman, this woman, has little relative power and no clear way within the system to make a living for her family. Deep loss, tangled up in oppressive systems. The need is dire. And see how it's voiced. The woman voices it. She takes the initiative. Her husband has served Elisha, the prophet, the man of God. So she goes to Elisha and she lays it all out. She makes her case. My husband who served you has died. And now the creditors are coming to take away my children. And in this world of power over, we get this surprising conversation of mutuality. Elisha doesn't command the fix. He doesn't step in and take over as if he knows best. Instead, Elisha asks her, how can I help you? How can I help you? What do you have on hand? He recognizes her agency, her dignity, her ability to understand her own need and to articulate it better than anyone else, and her ability as someone who is fully human to articulate how the need should be met and what she has to contribute. And the woman says, I've got a little oil. Together, they voice the need and the first glimpse of provision. And then together, they meet the need. That's how God provides here. They collaborate. They go to work. Elisha tells her to go around to the neighbors, collect their old, empty, unused jars, as many as they can find. Don't just ask for a few. Be bold. And then go back to your home behind closed doors and start pouring oil and don't stop until you're done. The widow does just that. Throughout her community, she knocks on doors, door after door. Each door, each neighbor offers up a jar or two, and then the woman and her sons go back home with this inventory of empty jars. They close the doors and they get to work. They start pouring the first jar, taking that little bit of oil she had and filling the jar with oil. She turns to her son, now hand me the next jar, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next, until she asks for her jar and her son says, Mom, that's it. And she lifts her head from her work and she sees this room full of jars full of oil, more than enough to feed her family, to pay her debts, to return to her neighbors, and to live off of what is left. What we have here is a story of real need in real people, in real lives, a story of conversations that name that need plainly and honestly, the loss, the need, the systems and structures that are at work holding her back. And then there is this community, this community that the woman and her sons gather, each offering up what they have until jar after jar overflows with oil. What we have here is a story that begins in scarcity 
in deep hunger and dire need and through the life of community culminates in an experience of God's abundance, more than enough for everyone in the story and beyond. As I've been working with this scripture and thinking about the deep need of hunger and what we can do, I've also been reading this book written by Joe Gross, a member of this community. The book is called The Welcome Table. I've mentioned this to a few of you uh, this past week, and by the reaction, I know that some of you have read this book too, or you've learned what's in it directly from Joe. In her book, Joe tells the story of the community of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that started a ministry called The Banquet, a ministry that over the year has fed thousands. I, I might be able to say millions because I checked their website this morning and I think it was 196,000 meals that they served last year, 2019. But back in 1985, the Catholic bishop there gathered some folks in the community, including Joe, and invited them to think about the problem of hunger in Sioux Falls. So many who were suffering and to think about what they might do about it. They started to study the extent of it. They researched what others elsewhere were doing to help and came to understand hunger and poverty, the need, as not having enough money to eat and live decently. That simple, that straightforward. To meet the need, they set out to create an open table where the most vulnerable could come and be fed. The Catholic diocese took responsibility for the upkeep of a building, and they gathered a community of communities to do the work, churches and other community organizations to prepare and serve the meals. Joe led that effort to gather, train, and encourage a community of volunteers. The planners supported the ministry through donations from throughout the community, and with each check, they'd invite the donor to come in and do the work, to experience the blessing of serving. They understood their ministry as work undertaken in the name of Jesus, and so the guiding principles of their mission insisted on honoring the dignity of each person who walked through their doors. All were invited, no one was turned away, there were no strings attached. And at the heart of it all, they insisted, as I have heard Joe say, and I bet you have too, that the poor should never be treated poorly. So the banquet became to be a place where folks ate together. Those who came to get a meal ate side by side with those who prepared the meal. All ate together at the same table, all sharing the experience of hosting and being hosted. They tended to the hospitality of the space, art on the walls, flowers for the table, real dishes and forks and spoons, and folks were fed. Folks kept coming back to prepare the meal, to share the meal, to experience the abundance of community. In the face of dire need, God provided abundance in the collaborative power of community, as Joe would say, with love as the main ingredient. The banquet started with that conversation in 1985. Joe wrote her book in 1995, and the ministry in Sioux Falls is still going strong. They're now serving 600 people a night. They have a volunteer base of 20,000 volunteers. They've added new programs to meet new needs. And during the, the pandemic, they've adapted their programs. They're serving meals to go during the pandemic. 
in the last few years, they've built a new facility on the west side of town. And this year, they're naming that new center after Joe in honor of the community of volunteers that she gathered and nurtured, a community of volunteers that still has life today. Now, some of those details may feel familiar in this community. Because when this church decided to become part of the REST shelter program, uh, collaborating with other faith communities in Marin County, and decided to take a regular night to provide meals and a place to sleep for those who were living outside, Joe brought those values to the welcome table here. The team that prepared the meal here ate with the guests who came. There were flowers on the table, real plates. No one was served poorly a shared prayer, a shared meal. Do you remember? I do. These are each stories of dire need, of hunger and displacement met in the creative collaborative power of community. We've told these stories of miraculous provision over thousands of years from the days of Elisha and the woman on down to today. We tell these stories because over the centuries, the need persists. The need persists in our day. It has become part of our experience of pandemic. Earlier this month, our national unemployment rate exceeded 14%. Right now, there are 4.6 million Californians without jobs, and the state projects that unemployment might peak at 24%, nearly a fourth of Californians. And of course, loss of job brings about loss of a living wage and loss of the ability to access sufficient food. We face a world where so many lack the money to eat and live decently. The need is all too familiar and growing every day, even as the world continues to be unfamiliar and bewildering. And here's the thing. So many of the things that we would usually do to help, we can't, or at least they come with limitations. The techniques that we would bring, the helping techniques that we know, we either can't or shouldn't do for the good of those we would help. We can't right now all sit at a table together. In the context of pandemic, that would not be life-giving, that would be life-risking. And that, not being able to sit at table, that itself is a loss. Allie talked last week so lovingly about the grief we have experienced in worship, the loss of being in person. Well, that's true for the life we live together in service as well. And we should name that honestly and give ourselves some room to grieve for an activist congregation like this. We grieve at the limitations of not being able to be bodily present with each other, particularly sisters, brothers, and siblings in need. But Joe's book has wisdom for this. Toward the end of the book, Joe is reflecting on the origin and emergence of the banquet community in the face of dire need. And she quotes Professor Henry Joel Cadbury, a biblical scholar and leader of the American Friends Service Committee. She quotes him saying that there are two types of people in the world. There are therefore people, and there are however people. However people face a need and a limitation and say, there is a dire need. However, we can't do anything because. 
Therefore, people say there is a dire need. We understand the limitations. Therefore, here is what we can do, something new, something that adapts the things we know, something that brings to life a way to meet the need that is right for this time in this place. In the world of um, improvisation, we would call these yes and people. We may not be able to bring some of the techniques of helping that are familiar to us, the ways that we have known to do what we do. But what we can do is bring the values of helping in the name of Jesus that have always been true, the dignity of each person and the power of collaboration and community to do what we can and to remake and to learn new ways of doing what needs to be done. And we have some of those things that we can do today. In just a few minutes, Barbara Rothkrug will tell us more about how we can write letters to support the work of Bread for the World to alleviate and end hunger. Bread for the World, as you may know, is an international advocacy group that targets the systems and structures that create hunger in the world. We can be a part of that advocacy. We participate in our presbytery's efforts to help end hunger locally through the sensibility offering. Now we've noticed a, a drop in that offering, uh, and maybe that's because that's not as easy to do without the reminder of a physical offering, that, that one Sunday a month with the basket up front. But, but we can think about creating new ways together and individually for regular, regularizing and maintaining that commitment. For a while now, this congregation has brought forward canned goods to con contribute to the food bank. Zach and Aidan Nelson have taken what was in the barrel to the food bank, so that's taken care of. I've heard folks talk about how they might continue their donations in the future, trying to figure out how to get groceries. And ultimately, I've heard folks think that it might be even more helpful in these days just to make a direct contribution to the food bank. Fewer people have to go to the Safeway, and the food bank can use the money to get what is most needed. For some time now, this congregation has helped make a regular Tuesday hot meal for the Marin Street Chaplaincy. Nick Morris and Joy Snyder have adapted how that meal serves those who've been living outside, and the Conants and the Nelsons are helping do grocery runs. Our congregational reps to the Marin Organizing Committee are letting us know about ways to support the MOC's emerging efforts to help our undocumented neighbors including making sure that they have access to the same food and resources that everyone does. We have things we can do right now. New things, adapted things, but things we can do. We tell these miraculous stories, these stories of miraculous provision because two things have never stopped being true. First, for the widow and her sons, and for these days of pandemic, far too many people experience the deep need of hunger. It is as human and persistent as our daily need for food and our imperfect ability to structure systems that distribute food justly. And the second thing, God empowers us to collaborate creatively to meet that need to remake with God new ways, reformed ways, adapted ways to meet the need to remake a world where everyone has enough. I emailed with Joe this weekend to let her know that I'd be sharing some of the story of the banquet and to thank her. And in one of the emails, always generous, she shared this poem 
And I'm going to let it be the way that we move ourselves toward prayer. It's called Till Morning Comes. Till Morning Comes will embrace the dawn as time to revise, reform, remake. Let our imaginations reign, ideas spawn, till morning comes we'll embrace the dawn. One day the virus will vanish, be gone with a cry of desolation in its wake. Till morning comes we'll embrace the dawn as time to revise, reform, remake. Amen. May it be so in you and in me.